Hello there and happy November. Today is the 1st of November, which means that writers around the world today are starting their very, they're, they're writing their very first words of their new novels. Uh, and I know this because uh, there is a thing you might have heard of or you might not have called NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing Month. Uh, this is a thing, this is a bit of a crazy thing, actually, where writers will um, try to write a whole novel in just 30 days. So this takes place in November, and I think the target is, you know, when you think about it, it's not that much, really. 1,400 or so words every day. Uh, and I've done it a few times myself. And today, I wanted to share you, share with you, sorry, some uh, writing from uh, one of my NaNoWriMo's. This is actually from the first one that I managed to complete. So, uh, you know, they, they say uh, National Novel Writing Month, so, so the words count you're aiming for is 50,000 words, which is a pretty short novel, but is a novel, you can maybe call it a novella or, or, or whatever you like, um, but it is, it's, it's hard to do in 30 days and um, I found what was really good about it was that it gets you into a writing routine, like you will write every day and even if you feel like you're not really putting out your best, you go back and read it later and it's not as bad as you remember and obviously when you've finished it as well, that's just kind of your first draft. You go back and you can edit it. It doesn't have to just be 50,000 words. You could add more words, you could take things away. Um, so it's good. So yeah, this is from uh, my second attempt at NaNoWriMo and I managed to get my 50,000 words and finish the story as well. I was really pleased with it. Uh, this was back in 2016, I think. So my novel's title um, was Tears of the Forsaken Sands and chapter one is called Shumi and Gapan. And I thought that's that's what I'd like to read out to you today. Um, this is kind of part of a series that, that I am in the middle of writing, uh, kind of. So, so I was using Nas um, National Novel Writing Month to write some fantasy stories. Uh, obviously kind of short fantasy stories compared to the length of the, an average um, fantasy uh, book. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the, my idea for this was uh, to have these little short stories that all take place within the same world. Uh, and I do, I have this idea for a bigger fantasy story that all of these other shorter stories would link into. Some of them directly influence uh, what would happen in, in the big uh, the big story and some of them are just little um, interesting things that have happened within uh, that world. So, yeah, a little bit of a different one this week. Um, I'm going to read chapter one uh, of Tears of the Forsaken Sands, which is called Shumi and Gapan. It is a little story by itself as well. If people enjoy this, then maybe I can read some more of my fantasy series and things. Um, but yeah, I hope you enjoy. This is Shumi and Gapan. It took ten years for Gapan to tell Shumi how her mother and father had died. Shumi was but an infant when it happened, and Gapan knew that one day she would have to know. But not yet, for every child deserves time to be a child, time to believe that the world is a holy, happy place. 
When Shumi's parents were taken from her, hauled from this world as harshly as a wolf might rip out the throat of its prey, it left Gapan as her only living relative, and Shumi his. Gapan's own mother and father had died long ago, peacefully, and for this Gapan was thankful. A peaceful death these days was increasingly hard to come by. Gapan had been only a child and had himself only fathered a single child, Shumi's mother. Shumi's father had also been an only child and had lost his small family in the wars. In these days of turmoil, most folk had only courage enough to bring one child into this world, or none at all. Gapan could remember the day Shumi's parents died for two reasons. Firstly, of course, because of the horrid and sudden death that they had suffered, but also because of the look in little Shumi's eyes as she had stared into Gapan's own damp ones. It was a look of confusion, as of one who thought the world a wondrous place and suddenly all the beauty had vanished. She was too small to understand what had happened, still a baby who hadn't yet uttered her first words or walked her first step. Her mother and father had missed all of it, and it was as though Shumi had known it even then. She had been robbed of her parents, and her parents had been robbed of her. Shumi's first word was Gapan, and her grandfather had been filled with joy. It was not his real name, it was merely the closest that Shumi could come to saying Grandpa, but the enthusiasm and the brightness in her voice and her eyes was enough to make him forget all the atrocities of the past but for a moment and find the deepest happiness in the most important person in his life. From that day forth he had become known as Gapan not just to Shumi, but to the entire city of Lyra. The people who knew Gapan well and knew how much his heart had been aching rejoiced to see him so happy. Here they come, the men at the marketplace would cry with broad smiles across their faces. Shumi and her Gapan. His neighbours would smile as they walked past their houses. Shumi, they called. You look after Gapan today, for he is old and frail and likely to break a few bones should he fall. Shumi would only look on in wonder, as though finally she had found that piece of beauty she had lost when she was younger. Yet as Shumi's vocabulary grew, and her first steps turned into wobbly runs, and then into confident strides, Gapan could not find it in his heart to tell Shumi what had happened to her parents. Every night he would read her a story, or, as Shumi preferred, make one up about the legendary five wizards, or of scurgs or mortars that roamed the wildlands at night, or great warriors from the past who defeated unimaginable creatures who had been terrorising innocent villages, and she would fall asleep in his arms. Her golden hair had grown down past her ears, and Gapan would stroke it for a time after she had fallen asleep, and look at the beauty in her face through wet eyes. She had her mother's face, though she would never know it, and he would ask himself, Will I tell her on the morrow? Will I tell her what happened to her mother and father? And as he looked into her sleeping face, there would always only be one answer. No, not yet. As the years rolled on and Shumi turned five, she looked ever more like her mother. On some mornings after dressing her, Shumi would catch a sad look on her Gapan's face. Gapan, she would ask, are you sad? In her voice, she held a strong note of sadness and worry. No, Gapan would answer always. How can I be sad when I have my Shumi to look after me? And though Gapan had told her this, and though Shumi would have no reason to believe that her Gapan would ever lie to her, she knew deep inside that he was sad, and she would throw her arms around any part of him that she could find and squeeze him as tightly as she could. Sometimes Shumi would catch Gapan talking to himself. 
When she asked him what he was doing, he told her he was talking to Sagorn. Who is Sagorn? Shumi asked once. That is a long tail, Shumi, Gapan said. He is the one who created us, created everything. He is the one who guides us. Does he live in Lyra? Shumi asked. He lives everywhere, Gapan said. He looks after us. Does he protect us from the noises? The noises were an everyday part of Shumi's life. As she was growing up, she would hear the cries of men from the borders of the city. It sounded like they were shouting at someone. Sometimes, one of them would come into the city surrounded by onlookers with something sticking out of his body. Make way, the men carrying him would shout. Make way, he has been shot. Gopan would squeeze Shumi's hand a little tighter whenever this would happen. When Shumi started school, she inevitably learned about the battles against the men her teacher had called the Kafet. What's a Kafet? someone asked the teacher. The Kafet are the people who live in the desert, the teacher replied. They believe in Sagorn and they want to force everybody else to believe in him too. My Kapan believes in Sagorn, Shumi said, and there were gasps from around the classroom. Your grandpa is one of the Kafet? One of Shumi's classmates asked in disbelief. No, no, the teacher interjected. Lots of people in Lyra believe in Sagorn too, but they are not part of the Kafet. They are simply Kaf. The people from the desert are bad men and women who take the word of Sagorn and turn it into poison. They are not true Kaf. When Shumi asked Gapan about this, he explained it in much the same way as her teacher had. Yes, Shumi, those men come from the Forsaken Sands in the south. They are violent, horrid people who our city fights against. They are the ones who killed your mother and father, Gapan thought, but still could not bring himself to say aloud. As more years passed, Shumi grew to understand more about the beliefs of both the Kafet and of the Kaf. It seems to her that they both believed in the same thing, and she became sad thinking that they should be friends, not enemies. She also spoke to many of her friends who did not believe in Sagorn at all, and decided one day to tell Gapan that she too did not believe. That's okay, Gapan said. Some believe, and some don't. Even though you do not believe in Sagorn, he believes in you, and he will look after you. After a pause, Shumi asked Gapan the question he had been dreading for years. Gapan, why don't I live with my mama and papa? Gapan closed his eyes and drew a deep breath. Oh dear sweet Shumi, I have been trying for a long time to find the right way to tell you about this. It would seem the time has now come. Please sit with me. Shumi drew in a chair and sat with Gapan. She saw the sad look in his eyes and knew that what he was about to say would be very grim. The men who protect this city do so with such vigour that Lyra's walls have been breached only once. Ten years ago, when you were still just a baby, the Kafet attacked the city in overwhelming numbers. It was nothing less than an army of men. The Forsaken Sands hide much, including just how large the army that resides there is. We had no idea that the Kafet were so many. The alarm bells rung out for the only time in my memory. The people of the city knew not what the sound was, for they had never heard it before and so many people lost their lives that day simply because we had never taught them to flee when they heard the bells. By the time the desert men had reached the depths of the city, it was too late for most of them. How did they manage to breach the city? Shumi asked. They used great battering rams made with wood from the trees of mortar forest. 
Shumi gasped. She had heard many tales of Mortar Forest, and all of them sent shivers running down her body. They said that many great evils dwelled there, and it was common knowledge that numerous people had gone into the forest and had never returned. Those that did return were never the same again, quiet, broken people who would say little of what they found in the forest. It lay many miles to the east, but the trees were so tall that they on clear days could be seen even from Lyra. It was said that their bark was so hard it would take days or even weeks to cut down one of them. When they entered the city, Gapan continued, they did not stop at killing our soldiers. They began slaughtering every man, woman and child within our walls. They cried out things about Sagorn as they went, ignoring the pleas of those who said they too were believers. They rained arrows down upon groups of people and set about slashing others with daggers and swords. Some tried to fight back, butchers and blacksmiths, farmers and tailors, but they were overwhelmed by the numbers of the desert men. One by one, the people of Lyra fell, and the city itself was almost taken. Your mother and father were swift, Shumi. They knew they must hide you, and quickly. When your mother fell pregnant, your father and I began work on making an underground hideout, nothing more than a small cellar really, but well hidden beneath the floorboards of your house. It took all nine months of your mother's pregnancy to complete, but we made it well, and of course, ultimately, it served us well too. When the warning bells rang out, your father was the first to act. He worked as a locksmith not far from your house. Upon hearing the bells, he darted from his place of work and made it to the house more swiftly than he had probably ever run in his life. Is the cellar ready? he asked your mother, and she nodded. The floorboards were secured in place above your head just as the Clafet men burst through the door. Death! they cried. Death in the name of Lord Sagorn! Your father was brave, Shumi. He immediately darted forwards, wielding a sharp knife from the kitchen, and slashed the man's arm, but another came through the door in an instant, and your father fell to his sword. Your mother was equally brave. She did not attack the men, but nor did she beg with them to spare her life. She knew her job was to let the men do their dreadful work quickly, and then move on before they heard you crying from below, if you were to do so. She took a few slow steps towards the man in silence, then said but one thing. Death will find you, desert men, and when it does, may it have no mercy. And then she fell to the sword, falling to the ground beside your father. Shumi wiped at her face. How do you know all this, Gapan? she asked, trying to keep her voice from shaking too much. Gapan drew in a deep breath. I was in the cellar with you, Shumi. I was able to peer up through a crack in the floorboards. I did not want to look, but I thought it better than seeing your sweet little face so full of fear and confusion, and I was too afraid to close my eyes. Not a day goes by where I don't wish I had jumped out of that cellar and helped them fight off the men, but I dared not expose you or leave you with nobody to look after you. Shumi looked at Hargapan with sad eyes for a moment before flinging her arms around his neck like she always did when she knew he was sad. Oh, Gapan! It was not your fault. The pair held each other and quietly wept. Later, Gapan told Shumi that after a long battle, the men of Lyra secured the city and the Kafet's attacks became fewer. He explained that Lyra had been at war with the Kafet for many years and it did not look like the war would end any time soon. But why do they attack us? Shumi asked. Lots of people here are Kaf, same as them. 
They believe that we do not follow calf in the right way, Gopan said. Some of us are calf, but they are calfette. They believe themselves better. I wish nobody believed, Shumi said. Sometimes I do too, Gopan replied. A silence fell upon them for a while before Shumi once again spoke. I love you, Gopan. Oh, dearest sweet Shumi, Gopan said. I love you too. I have loved you since first I set these old eyes of mine upon you, and your mother and father loved you so very dearly too. There were no tales of great warriors or horrid creatures that night. Instead, Gopan talked long into the night about Shumi's mother and father. He told many tales, and Shumi listened until the moon had disappeared from the cloudless sky and the sun shone its first lights upon the still city of Lyra. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. If you'd like to hear more stories, please follow the podcast.